Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that your will is freedom. And it is way beyond what we even imagine or think is possible. And so, Holy Spirit, we're asking you today to blow our minds with the freedom and the love and the power that is available in Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, we speak to you, and we invite you to come and open our hearts and our minds to what you are saying to our church today. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Earlier this week, I went to a seminar on spousal abuse. The seminar was put on by an organization called Hagar's Sister, and they work in kind of the Lexington and surrounding town area, and then the Danvers and surrounding town area. Their ministry is basically to have support groups that are faith-based for people that are trying to deal with spousal abuse. And for them specifically, they deal uh, with women that are experiencing that. Two of the most striking statistics that were presented in this presentation were this. First, that in the United States, one in three women would be a victim of abuse in their lives. And second, that the incidence of spousal abuse in the church is the same as it is outside of the church. And probably not necessary to say, but the vast majority of spousal abuse is men abusing women. They said there was around, it's around 85%. Kind of a sobering subject to talk about on Father's Day. But why is abuse so prevalent? And why aren't the numbers in the church different from the numbers outside of the church? If what we're doing really works, wouldn't it show itself, especially in this category where we are called to love one another? Today, we are embarking on a journey. It's a five-week-long series that we are calling a Summer of Freedom. And God is all about freedom. Let me read to you again what we heard in the beginning of the service today. Now, the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God is all about freedom. He created us to be free. And Jesus came to bring us into freedom. But so often in our lives, we feel stuck. We find ourselves doing things 
and interacting with people in ways that we're not proud of and that we don't want to be doing. There's different things going on even in our own hearts that we wish were not there. And so in this series, we are going to explore how we get free. How we can live the lives that we are wanting to live. And how we can actually help other people to do the same thing. So if you have a Bible, we're going to jump to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Give you a second to flip there or scroll there on your phone. We're going to read the whole psalm. It's only six verses long. This is an awesome psalm. So Psalm 13, we're going to start right in the beginning in verse 1. Why don't you read along with me? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me an answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. So if we're talking about abuse, just as an entry point, why that happens in the church even, it's because in our lives we often feel stuck and powerless to change. So what do we do when we feel stuck? What do we do, even maybe as you heard in the psalm, when it feels like God has abandoned us? We are alone, unable to move forward. Pardon the choice of gender in this language, but I'm aiming this to men because it's Father's Day. But it applies to everyone. Just want to state that up front. Okay? Real men get real. Real men get real. And they deal with what they feel. The Bible says that the path to freedom is that real men get real. And they deal with what they feel. Look at this passage. David is getting real with God. He says things in here that you're not allowed to say in church. 
He says, he doesn't say he feels like, he just says, God has forgotten him. He says that God has hidden his face from him. He's stating this as objective fact. God has forgotten him. He has hidden his face from him. Now there's something you have to understand here. Is the Bible saying that that's what's true? Well, David is getting real with his emotions, men. He is getting real with what he feels. And so what he is stating is true. It is truth in that it is truly expressing what he is feeling in that moment. Now, is that objectively true about God? No, but it is objectively true in that this is exactly what David was feeling when he wrote this. It's not to say that sometimes God forgets about us or sometimes he does turn his face away from us, but that this was what David was truly feeling in that moment. He felt like God was not there for him, even though that wasn't true, but it was a true feeling. He expresses the emotions that are inside of him. He's anxious. He's in agony. His mind is messing with him. Another translation, maybe in your Bible, used the word sorrow. He's expressing sadness. Now, oftentimes, we look as men to Clint Eastwood as the epitome of what it means to be a man. Steely-eyed, no emotion, you can't touch this, I'm a wall, right? This impenetrable force of manliness that will just conquer all bad guys. Maybe that was a generation ago, but I grew up watching those movies, okay? I mean, it's Jack Bauer, you know, although I think I saw him cry in an episode, so maybe that's not it. Okay. The point here is that often in our culture, we see that as a weakness. Men see that as weakness, expressing feelings, and instead we choose to stuff those emotions and ignore them. But if you want to talk about men, David is the man of all men. Okay, He is... He is a warrior. He is the Alexander the Great of Israel. He would lead the troops into battle, and he formed a team around him, right, of these mighty men. He, he wasn't a general that would sit back and tell the troops where to go. He was leading the charge. He was the original giant killer. Like, where did that expression come from? Oh, yeah, David. That's why they coined the term. He killed his own giants. He led a team. He he led his people into battle. And he was the political ruler. I mean, he's the president. He's the guy running the organization. He's the CEO. He's got that whole aspect of manliness as well. He's got the brute force. He's got the, the wisdom, kind of the CEO governing the whole land. I mean, we're talking about he's the man. And yet, he wears his heart on his sleeve. If David did not do that, we would not have over half of the book of Psalms. He wrote 76 of the Psalms, which is over half. There's 150. Just over half, but over half. I mean, just think about the wealth of stuff that we find in the Bible. Where do we go often when we're feeling hurt, when we're we're down? We go to the book of Psalms because it's a book that is filled with emotion And if David did not engage on that level, we would not have half of those things. I mean, just think about that. 
This guy, you know, as some would term, he's a warrior poet. And that is what we are called to be as men. We are called to fight, right? You're not a fighter and not a lover or a lover and not a fighter. You're called to be both. You are called to be the first one to sacrifice and you are called to be the first one to cherish and pursue. That is what it means to be a man. You're the first one to die. You're the first one to love. That is manhood. That is the example we see in David. Now, this is, this is easier for some of you men than others to tap into your emotions. One thing that I've heard is, hey, we shouldn't trust our emotions. Our emotions are misleading. They tell us things that are not true. The Bible totally agrees with that. You see it in this psalm. David is saying things that are not true, but they are in the Bible. Right? You trust your emotions, but you don't trust your emotions. Let me explain. Your emotions are there for a reason. They are waving red flags saying, there is something wrong. Do not stuff me. I will come back out times 10 when you least want it to happen. You need to deal with this. Red flag. You are feeling crazy right now. There is a reason. David is actually identifying those reasons in this psalm because he's seeing his psalm, I am feeling like you have forgotten me. This is what I am feeling. Hmm. That's an interesting thing because it disagrees with the truth of the Bible. Let's dig. That's what your emotions are doing. So you don't trust necessarily what your emotions are saying, but you trust that your emotions have been given to you by God and are indicating in your being that there is something going on that you cannot just ignore. I'm talking mainly about negative emotions that come out at times you don't want them to. Okay? Again, if you stuff your emotions or ignore them, they're not just going to go away. They will come out in anger, fear, or seeking power or pleasure in the wrong places. So your emotions are good. Pay attention to them. The other thing to mention about emotions is this is actually where we make most of our decisions. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He doesn't say, out of the overflow of the brain, the mouth communicates. No, we live out of our emotions. When someone does something to us in traffic, we react out of what is inside of us. We don't stop and say, hmm, that person just cut me off. What is the Jesus-like thing to do? Beep, 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 beep. Wave at them and say, God bless you. That has never happened to me. That will never happen to you. We live out of a place of reaction. We react out of our heart. And so if we haven't dealt with the emotions that are in our heart, the negative things that we've experienced or we've stuffed, those words come out anytime we are triggered. We're not wired to live that way anyways. It's impossible to be thinking all the time about every single calculation of every interaction with human beings around us. That would be exhausting. Your mind would explode. We're programmed to live out of the place of our heart, which means we need to deal with what is in our heart. Dads, easiest place to relate is with your kids. When your child does something that is disobedient or not listening, you do not stop, 
and start dialing in to your logical side of your brain. If you do, I'd love to know how you do that. We react, right? But we want to grow in here so that our reaction, you know, becomes a res- more of a response that is done out of a deep place of love. The Bible is not, in, not out of touch with this, right? Even in the place, that, you know, in the Romans wrote about the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's tying these two things together, right? Confessing with your mouth, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord. But, but you know, believing in your heart, it's in your heart, out of that place of emotion, affection, that you're believing that God raised him from the dead. See, it's because the Bible talks about belief, and we often, as Americans that are Western, think that means up here. But it really, the seat is here. Right? It's what we believe is a place in our hearts, a place of settledness in our hearts, because that's where we live out of when we make our decisions. That's the, it's the, it's the conflict between what Paul talks about with faith and what James talks about with faith. Right? Faith without works is dead. If it's just a mental ascent, it's dead. It has to sink into our heart. So, what does David do in this passage? I don't know if you noticed, but I tried to pause for an awkwardly length of time between the three different kind of sections in this psalm. The second section, we see David gets his emotions out, and then what does he do? He asks God for help. He just says, Lord, help me. I am feeling this. It feels true to me that you've forsaken me, you've forgotten me, you've turned your face from me. I don't know what to do. Help me. And David asks for joy. Isn't this what we all want? Is a deep place of joy. We want to feel free. We want to feel unstuck from the things that are holding us down. And this is what God wants for us too. And so this is the step that we're going to talk about today. Is that it's two things. We pay attention to our emotions And then we pay attention to what God is saying. That is the path to freedom right there. This is what I am feeling. We get real with what we are feeling. And then we ask God, what do you think about this? Now, a couple of things I want to say before I get into the the real specifics of how. Surrender is a key piece of freedom. My wife and I met with the leaders of our movement a few weeks ago. And one of the questions I asked Jimmy Seibert and his wife, Laura, was how do people change? And he just gave me one word, surrender. He said, in all these years of ministry where I've seen people, some people change and others not, this is one of the things that it comes down to is surrender. We have to be willing to say, okay, God, I am desperate. I am willing to relinquish anything that I am holding on to Because until we do that, we cannot be free. A second thing that I want to mention here is foundational to this is the idea that God can communicate to you. Somehow, in our Western way of thinking, it has become, in the evangelical church, there's an idea that God cannot speak to you. 
He spoke to you through the Bible, and that's all you've got. And I just want to say, that is not biblical. He's the God of the universe. Stop telling him what he can't do. Because you're afraid of what might happen. We're not talking about you getting a new book of the Bible. We're talking about how God can speak to you in the moment and reveal things in your own life or things around you that the Bible doesn't talk about. Like, God, what in my past has led me to this? I'm sorry, but your life story is not in the Bible. Unless you're in the Bible. But none of you were. At least, I don't think so. Now, we get, we get a little crazy about this. But how many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand, that an evil spirit could speak in your ear and tempt you? God is everywhere. The devil is not. God is not just everywhere. He is also inside of you. And God is not just inside of you. The Bible says that those who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with him. How much closer can you get? You can't get any closer, closer than that. The point I'm making is that throughout the book of Acts, people are hearing God's voice. That is the standard for us, not the exception. That is the only narrative book we have on what it looks like to live post-resurrection. And all throughout the book, in every chapter, people are hearing from the Holy Spirit who is directing them to do specific things in their life. Philip, go up to the road. It's foundational for us to say, I can hear the voice of God. He can direct me in my life, and he wants to speak to me. So lastly, I just want to say before we get into the specifics is that God's will is your freedom. All of these verses that we read in the beginning are communicating that where God's spirit is, there is freedom. Jesus came to set us free. The truth will set you free. God wants you to get unstuck from the places in your life that are leading you to do things and feel things that you don't want to be a part of your life and that affect the people around you. Because let's face it, right? Nobody wants to abuse their spouse or their kids. No one woke up one day and said, oh yeah, I want to abuse people. That would be a lot of fun. It comes from things in their past because they were abused or they're believing things that are not true, that are leading them to make poor choices. I'm not excusing sin. We all have a choice. The point is, is that God wants to lead us to freedom. So, we see this at the end of the psalm. David lands in that third section where I paused right before I read it, where he says the word, but. He lands in a different place than he started. He starts confessing things that are actually true. I've trusted in your what? Your faithful love. Four verses ago, you were saying, you forgot me forever, God. You've turned your face from me. There's been a shift. And he is saying that he's trusting in God's faithful love. My heart will rejoice in what? In your deliverance of me. He's even going to sing to the Lord because God has done what? 
He's treated him generously. I mean, do you feel the shift that has happened in this psalm? He's gone from feeling that God has completely forsaken him. He's all alone. How long will you hide your face? To man, you've dealt generously with me. I'm going I'm to sing to you. My heart will rejoice because you've delivered me and I've trusted in your faithful love. He's, he's, he, there's been a shift where he now understands the love that God has for him. So here's why I'm excited about this series is because this works. I told this story a few weeks ago. I'm going to tell it again. I am an introvert, even though I stand up here in front of you. If I was in a group of you mingling at a party, it would be way harder for me to do that than it is for me to stand here because I, just, I get to call it talk and no one's interrupting or there's not some dynamic of interacting with people. I'm just, trying to make, I'm just trying to make the point. That's intimidating to me sometimes. So one of the hardest things about you know, being a follower of Jesus is that whole like stranger evangelism thing where you're walking up to random people and you're going to be like, pray for them or tell them about the gospel or something. That just has killed me. There's been season in my life where it's been easier or harder, but you know, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. And I was reminded of the verse. I can't remember if I was reading it, but then I think I turned to it where Jesus says, hey, whoever's ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of them before my Father in heaven. And I was feeling crushed by that. I mean, just like, wow, is Jesus going to be ashamed of me? You know, like, and I feel like the Spirit of the Lord said to me, you're not ashamed of me, you're ashamed of you. And so what happened? I started to work this process that I'm going to give you today. And the Lord revealed a memory of being in elementary school. I was on the football field. I was rather competitive, which often led to arguments. So I was in fifth grade in a little dirt, patch of dirt. I got into an argument with, this, with this, this kid named Travis. And he called me some really nasty things that I won't repeat, kind of over and over again. And that was, that was stuck there. There was unforgiveness towards him. And then there were some lies about myself that I was believing because of that moment. That I was, you know, not a great person to be around or, you know, not worthy to be a friend to someone or just less than other people or just the shame of that, like being shamed publicly in front of my peers. And so I went through some of these steps of forgiveness and kind of asking the Lord, what was that really about? And I have to tell you, there was no bombs or explosions that went off when I was doing that. That may happen for you. But there was a shift. You know, I've, I've now asked three strangers in the last week or two if I could pray for them, and it was easy. And that's not because I'm the pastor and a super Christian. It's because Jesus set me free. That's why. Right? One of them rejected and said, are you guys Jehovah's Witnesses? You know, that's Okay. I was still okay. I asked the waitress at dinner the other night. I wanted to do that for a long time. It's always kind of a hard. It was the easiest thing in the world. I just said, hey, you know, is there any way we can pray for you? You know, we're going to say a blessing. She kind of thought about it for a second and said, no. Okay, that's all right. It's because Jesus set me free. He wants to do the same thing for you, and he can. I am not special. I'm special but I'm not special any more than you are special. This is for you guys. This is the will of God for your life, and you can move into freedom from whatever it is that is holding you back. 
Now, I want to say one more thing before I jump into this. Depression, anxiety, you know, being addicted to pornography, uh, anger, fear, whatever your, your deal is, it can be multifaceted. Right? We, are, we are complex beings. The Bible is made up of a spirit, a soul, and a body. So I'm not saying that if you're working what's called, we're talking about kind of working the emotional roots here, that it's going to be 100% guaranteed victory. If you're depressed, there may be a physical component to that, or anxious, as one example. You guys tracking with me? So it's unfortunate that Jesus doesn't do physical healings Oh, wait, that's not in the Bible, is it? So what I want to communicate is we are working in the soul here. Okay, we're working in the soul, the places where your mind and your emotions that have, have, you've given kind of a, a foothold to the devil. That's not to say that Jesus, there also might be a physical component, but Jesus can heal that too is what I'm trying to say. So there is ultimate hope, okay, in the power of Jesus. One more thing is that there are, this is not the only way, although some of the things in this are pretty much, you're going to have to hit these at some point, okay? There's therapy, which can be very good if, it's, if it is uh, dealing with kind of the deep places of emotion. There's something called a sozo, which is a lot of what I'm talking about is based on. It's a healing ministry where you're doing it with people for a couple hours. Some of us at the harbor have been trained in that. If you're interested in that, you can talk to myself. Or Jade, there's also a ministry, a church an hour away, that I've gone to three times for a, a healing session. Very powerful. I would highly recommend that if you want to do that. There's also kind of the mystical contemplative prayer route. So I don't want to discount any of those, but I just think this is probably what I'm giving you today, the most reproducible and accessible method that there is. And I also love it because it, uh, it really develops a relationship with God as well. Okay? You guys tracking with that? So can I have some volunteers to come up and pass out some handouts? I can't just help being a teacher today. But I want to give you two things today to leave with. So just, it can be anybody, just, just come up here. We need everybody to get one of these and one of these. And please disperse those, a number of people. We're going to have a couple more people just to get those out real quick. Just jump on up and help these guys get one of these in everyone's hands. So as they're passing those out, I don't want to jump ahead. I want everyone to have this in their hands so they can see this. But um, you can also, this is a, this is a you and, and God kind of a process that I'm going to explain, but, but this is also training you to do this with someone else. If you're meeting with someone for discipleship, peer discipleship, or you're in a faith group and you, have, you break off for prayer and someone, something comes out, this is like the thing that I do all the time, Okay. So what I want you to do is you can read that, that kind of larger sheet. Uh, if I could have one of those actually too, then I can kind of point some stuff in this. Andy, can you give me one of those while you're passing those out? Thanks, Chrissy. So this I'm just going to give to you to read at home. This is kind of the whole process if you're really stuck, like especially if you feel like it's an addiction, if it's you know, sexual, physical kind of addiction, this is the process I would really recommend for you to follow. Okay? Um, 
On this sheet is what I want to go, this is the bookmark for your journal. This is kind of a longer sheet for you to read through and just kind of have as a reference, but this is the one that I would say I kind of keep in my mind as I'm journaling with the Lord. And again, you can also do this with somebody else. When you're sitting somewhere, you can just do this. So the, the, the biggest thing is this first word, which I've already mentioned, is attention. Attention is the whole process. It's what's going on inside of me, what is God saying about it? That's it. If you do that, God can lead you into freedom. It's, I'm, I'm serious, guys. It's really that simple. There's a person in our church that learned everything on this sheet just by asking those two questions. God taught them everything in this thing. So the Holy Spirit can lead you. So my, our recommendation is every day or every time your emotions are out of whack or you want to go to that fix, whatever that might be, Get a journal and start writing what you're feeling. Get real with what you are feeling. Man, I'm feeling so frustrated now because of blah, 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 blah. And oh man, I'm so angry and this and this and this. Get those emotions out. Do not ignore them. Do not bottle them up. Right? So it's a daily rhythm or it's in the moment when you're feeling like you've got to go to whatever your fix is, the thing you go to to make you feel okay, that's not God. Go to the journal. Okay? Now, I say a journal instead of doing this kind of like out loud is because my mind will often wander, but the journal will keep me on task. There's nothing magical about that, but I can look back at it later, so it's a record of what happened, and it also helps me personally to stay focused. So once you spend as much time as you can getting those emotions out and putting names to the emotions, think of that movie, Inside Out, right? If you don't have any touch with your emotions, you've got joy, sadness, fear, anger, Uh, disgust. There you go. Watch that movie if you haven't seen it. Okay? The point is to get those things out, get them on paper, try to label what it is that you're feeling, and then ask God simply, what do you think? And then write down what you sense he is saying. So for me, I gave that example. What happened? That memory came to mind from fifth grade. I mean, can can you believe that something 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, had an effect on me? Absolutely, because if there's unforgiveness or some lie that I've believed, it's impacting me still today, and the Lord wants to free you from that. So I just want to say right now, that is the whole process. It is attention. Pay attention to what's in here, and then pay attention and give God your attention to see what he wants to say about it. Now, the rest of this sheet, today's sermon topic is attention. The next four weeks, we're going to hit each one of these other four on your little, your little cheat sheet here. Okay, for the next four weeks. But let me just briefly mention what these are. These are different things that probably will happen at some point. Now, not all of them have to happen in every kind of journaling session or if you're doing this with somebody else. It's not, maybe not all going to happen, but there's some heavy hitters in this list that probably will happen. Okay? So deliverance is simply just taking power, like Jesus does in the Gospels, over a spirit that you have somehow partnered with. I'm not saying that Christians can be possessed, but I do believe that they can be oppressed by demons. We can talk about that next week. Okay? Forgiveness. It's simply repenting for your own sin or forgiving others or not, not necessarily forgiving God because he doesn't, hasn't done anything wrong, but releasing bitterness towards God or places where you felt like he's let you down. Okay? Healing. Uh, this, is, this is processing painful memories. So when that memory came up for me of fifth grade, 
I started to write down what I felt in that memory. What did it feel like when I was being made fun of? What did it feel like when I you know, didn't even know what the, con- the insults were exactly? You know, what were all those feelings in that memory? And then asking Jesus, where were you? Oftentimes, he'll give you a picture of where he was, you know, trying to absorb those insults or hugging you or, you know, he's in that other person's ear speaking to them to, to get them to stop, things like that, okay? Um, so, truth. This is huge. And I would say, for, for the most part, this is where you will always land. The Holy Spirit will guide you to this place. Bill Johnson says... A Christian, apart from believing a lie, cannot sin. A Christian, apart from believing a lie, cannot sin. Now, a couple things with that. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that you were crucified with Jesus. Meaning your old man, your flesh, all those things in you that were not of God died. That's what the Bible says. They literally died. Your sin nature is dead. We are not warring against the sin nature. We are warring against what that nature that is now dead left behind. So the point is that anytime we choose sin, it's because we're believing a lie. Here's an example that's part of the graphic nature of this, but just to make the point. When is the last time you were tempted to eat dog poo? Probably never. That is what sin is. Anyone in their right mind would not sin if they didn't have to. The Bible says with every sin, there is a way out. Right? which means in every situation, as a follower of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, we do not have to sin. The problem is we choose the sin because we are believing a lie about God or about ourselves. You know, I, uh, we talked, I talked once with someone after the service about the question of will we have free will in heaven? Will God give us free will? Would, can't, wouldn't we screw everything up again? It didn't come to me until later. It's like, well, when's the last time I was tempted to eat dog poo? That is what sin. Sin will be exposed, and every lie will be exposed in heaven. No one would ever choose sin when we've seen Jesus face to face in all of his fullness and beauty, and sin has been exposed for the lie that it is. The Bible says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So when we're not free, it means we don't know the truth. The word for knowing there in the Greek, it has a a wide range of meanings. But one of the primary definitions is to know, especially through personal experience. It's not just a belief in our mind, as we've talked about earlier. It's knowing the truth in our hearts. It's really knowing that God is good. It's really knowing that he loves us. It's really knowing that he's going to take care of us. It's really knowing that we, right, are in Jesus and that he is in us. So this is the process that I invite you into the next five weeks. 
And part of this is, on this page, if you read through this later, is there's a couple just helpful steps of doing this kind of with somebody else. And, and, and that is to also read these things out loud to someone if you read through this. Part of it is going back over your journal in the past week or two and reading out loud to somebody else what God has spoken to you. It makes it more of an experience. As I just, I'm pointing to Mark Fee because this is a huge piece of his Father Heart of God training is you need to experience the truth of God, not just know it in your head. So this is the invitation, guys, and I am so excited for everyone in this church to know how to do this and to know how to do it with everyone else because it means that we are going to get free. And when we get free, we cannot be stopped, right? We cannot be stopped. I am so excited to see where we will be in five weeks.